0: Welcome to the Highway Church Podcast. We're excited that you would join us today and hope you're encouraged by the message you hear. If you'd like to know more, visit our website, highway.com.au. I want to talk to you about something tonight that is so important. It is so important to the heart of the Father. And if you're a friend, a brother, a sister, a parent in this room tonight, then it will be deeply important deeply important to you and I want to talk to you tonight about prodigals coming home and I want to talk to you about our part in that and how you and I have got a part in playing to see prodigals coming home. I I, maybe like you, I've liked to, over the years, like to study different moves of God. It's, it's fascinating reading. It's, it's great looking back on the records and the documents that have been kept of what, what God has done and the people that the Lord used to, to open things up for Him to move. But one thing that was common throughout the different times when God did something significant, it was always preceded by prayer. God would lay upon people, or you know, not always large groups, but just a certain number of people, the spirit of prayer. And I know we can all pray, and I know we—I hope we all do that. But there's times when God just specifically lays upon you the spirit of prayer because He wants to uh, about to bring something to pass. And so when you look back on some of these uh, moves of God, whether it been, I'll just name two because they're probably the most familiar to you, but the Azusa Street or the Welsh Revival, then it was always preceded by prayer. But there was a movement that happened in the 1970s. And it was a movement that maybe, you know, you've not given too much thought or attention to. It was called the Jesus Movement. And this Jesus Movement was a youth revolution that emerged out of the 1970s and you know many people have written about what happened in the 1970s because this, this movement was a, uh, well let me go back, in the 1960s just to tie it in together there was a rebellion going on with the young people and uh, these young people were experimenting with drugs and mysticism and the occult and it was a it was a rebellion against things that were organized. it was a rebellion against their parents, it was a rebellion against churches. and these people were known as the flower people and they were aptly named named because they wore flowers in their hair, there was a song. Um, you know, if I had time, I'd get Byron to bust into song because he knows, you know, the it's all about the San Francisco people that they say some of those ended up in, in Bethel as well. So there's testimonies all through Bethel where they came out of that that move right there. But these were the flower power people and they wore flowers and beads and their whole pursuit was to find peace, joy and happiness And so they decided that this was the way to find it. However, there is a side to this uh, flower power people that perhaps you didn't know and I did not know until recently that in all of their pursuit for happiness and peace and everything else, many of these flower power people came into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so um, as I mentioned, many of them were drug addicts They were hippies, they were filled with all of the excitement and all of the intensity that came out of their previous life and now the pendulum swung and they went all the way with that same intensity and that same exuberance now into following Jesus. And so, you know, they were rough around the edges, they were, you know, not sanctified in many respects, you know, they were disorganised, they were devised. And they didn't fit. They just didn't fit mainstream church because of what they'd come out of. But one of the things that was very strong on them was they were passionate about evangelism. And they got the message of Jesus Christ out into the streets, into the schools and to whoever would listen. These people were unconventional, and, uh, but they were born again. There was no doubt about their transformation. They had a real conversion. They weren't just Sunday Christians. They had a real, real conversion and a real transformation. And they were so passionate about evangelism because in their minds, Jesus was coming back any day like any day. So you'd better get right with God. You better come to church. You better turn your life over to Jesus Christ. You better repent and get your life straightened out because Jesus is coming any second. That's how intense and how passionate they were about getting the message of the gospel out. And because it was such a disheveled, disorganized, didn't fit mainstream group No one kept documents like other moves that you know God had done on the earth and and so to get accurate numbers of how big this group grew was it's it's somewhere between this and that. But some have estimated that this group of people had grown somewhere and this is very broad, somewhere between thirty thousand people to three million. So maybe if you took a stab somewhere in the middle you'd probably be reasonably accurate, but records were not kept. But unlike the Welsh Revival and the Azusa, this Jesus movement did come out of prayer. But this prayer, which is what really touched my heart, was this. What preceded this in this 60s, when all of these kids and all these young people were running around with flowers in their hair and filling their bodies with drugs and, joining a hippie cult and going into mysticism and the occult and all the rest of it, what happened was that the mothers of the 60s people, the mothers of the prodigal sons and daughters took to prayer and the mothers began to call upon the name of God that their kids and these young people would would leave that and turn their face towards God. And so by the time we got to the 1970s, there is now what we know as the Jesus movement. And this Jesus movement was made up of many young people that the mothers of these prodigals had prayed for them. And now they had turned their lives over to the Lord. And like many moves, you know, it's like it comes crashing in. And it may settle for a time, but it's left its mark in history. And as I began to read about these people, I, I thought, God, let us be like be like the mothers of the prodigal sons and daughters. And may God, may you bring on the earth in our time and in our day, another Jesus movement, another time where the Spirit of God, where the Spirit of the living God comes upon sons and daughters, families and homes, our generation and sweeps them into the kingdom of God like you did then. A few weeks ago, I had a report, medical report. And uh, anyway, the report didn't come back as good as I wanted it to come back and I had to pass those results on to a medical person and uh, I waited for this medical professional person to, to tell me what I should do about it, give me the, give me the solution here. And anyway, when, when this medical professional person got back to me, I was very surprised at her reply. Because instead of giving me the solution, her words to me were, what are you going to do about this? And I thought, what am I going to do about this? I'm paying you $138 to tell me what I'm going to do about this. And that was her only, only words to me. And I mulled over that for about two days. What am I, why am I paying you when you're saying to me, what am I going to do about this? And then after a couple of days, all of a sudden it dawned on me that she can't fix this, but I can. I've paid her to tell me what am I going to do about this. And I was so stirred in my spirit as I thought about these things. What am I going to do? What are we going to do about the prodigals that are out there in our streets today? What are we going to do about the prodigals that are in our schools and our colleges, our neighbourhood, or maybe even our homes? How much do we want to see God move like He's moved before? Are we going to be the ones to say, you fix it. I'll pay you to fix it. And yet the Spirit of God is moving on us to say, what are we the church? What are we going to do about the prodigals that are not home yet, but they will be in Jesus' Name? tens of thousands, maybe millions, I don't know, are outside of walking with God today, that once served Him, that once worshipped, that once came into the house of God. And what are we going to do about it? We do have a way maker. And there are Scriptures, many Scriptures, which... I wanna leave time to pray, so I'll try and abbreviate some of this tonight, but there's many Scriptures that back up what I'm about to say, but I'll just pull out one of two so that we can pray, <clears throat> pray in a minute. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says that these weapons, these weapons can break down every proud argument against God and every wall that can be built to keep men from finding Him. With these weapons, I can capture rebels and bring them back to God and change them into men whose heart's desire is to be obedient to Christ. These weapons that God speaks to us about that are written in His Word, these weapons can break down the walls. These weapons can break down the proud arguments. These weapons that have been built up can deal with what has prevented men and women, young or old, from coming and serving the Lord. These weapons can capture rebels and bring them back to God. And these weapons can change a heart, soften a heart, open a heart, so that they are receptive to to receive Christ. I am so moved by God right now for the prodigals to come home. I don't think we should ever sit in a time of complacency or satisfaction to say, it's all right that they're out there and it's, it's, it's all right that they're not in here. It is not all right with God and it should not be all right with us. We should be moved, we should be stirred, we should be passionate, we should be concerned, we should be passionate about praying for them. There are destinies and futures at stake here. And I want to talk to you for a minute in the next 10 minutes or so about these weapons because you won't convince somebody to come to Christ. You won't be able to talk them into salvation. You won't be able to beg them into the kingdom of God. You won't be able to shame them to turn their lives over to the Lord. You won't be able to go through the list of their Um, faults or failures or how they've let you down or how they've treated you. You won't win them over like that. It is a Spirit-led movement. It is led by the Holy Ghost and power. That's why you and I were baptised and filled with the Holy Spirit and with power. Don't move into the flesh now when you're dealing with a prodigal because what will happen is that will wear you down that will depress you, that will defeat you, that will annoy you, that will make you angry, that will make you wanna reject them. And it is a spiritual battle that has to be won spiritually. There's weapons that God has given to us. And these weapons, and there are strongholds. There are strongholds that hold people in that that place where they are. And when those strongholds get in there, all kinds of proud arguments are built up and that's what they hit you with. There are strongholds that can come down. There are arguments that can melt away like, like wax in the presence of God. And what if God is stirring and awakening you and I here today that you and I are part of this process? that you and I are partnering with God to see the prodigals come home. What if these weapons are just as powerful in 2022 as they always were. What if these weapons are just as powerful today as they were when the mothers of the prodigals began to pray in the 1960s and the 1970s and those walls and that deception and that deceit and the lies of the enemy and the veil that the enemy had put over their eyes so that they couldn't come to Christ and the veil was removed. Why? Because somewhere in the journey that heaven has recorded, there was mothers that didn't give up. There's mothers that didn't give up. Isaiah 61 has been speaking to us that the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon us. It's that Spirit. It's that Spirit that breaks down those walls. It's that Spirit that begins to go to work. It's that Spirit that starts to deal with your own offence and your own arguments and your own offences that you've held against that person or those people because they've wounded you and they've hurt you and they've betrayed you and they've treated you badly and they've said things against you. But I want to say to you that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the same Spirit that we pray by. It's the same Spirit. It's these weapons. The Scripture that has meant so much to me over the years that no weapon formed against us will prosper. And whatever has risen up in judgment, God's Spirit will deal with that. And there are some things that have prospered long enough because we've never taken authority over them. We sang those words in one of those songs tonight that I have authority. And you know, the church still does not get this. The church is not walking in its authority. And if we don't walk in our authority today when there's a plague on the earth, when there's a war in Ukraine, when there's threats of global war, if we don't get this today, I don't know when we're going to wake up and walk in our authority. It is time, church, to know your authority. If we don't get this today, prodigals are going to be lost. If we don't get this today, we might end up a prodigal. If we don't get this today, then God will not be able to do what He wants to be, wants what He's ready to do and use His church to do today. Let me give you a prodigal story. Every night at eight o'clock, eight p.m. at night, an elderly woman would kneel beside her son's bed and pray. And her son began to emulate the behavior of his father, excessive drinking. Bad behavior, and eventually this son turned his life over to syndicate crime. One night the son pulled a trigger on someone, but the gun did not go off. And the son looked at his watch and noticed that it was 8 p.m. His lifestyle continued to decline, but now his health was failing. And the doctor gave this son just six months to live. He was broken, he was broke, he was sick. And he turned his life towards home and he collapsed into his mother's arms apologising for all that he'd put her through. And he said, I want to be saved, but I've sinned way too much. And immediately this elderly mother opened up her Bible to Isaiah 1:18 and said, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And that morning on March 14, this son began a brand new life. Everything that this son earned after that point, he gave 75% of his money to God's work, financing crusades in which thousands upon thousands of people were saved. He became known as one of America's earliest, most popular radio evangelists. And he unashamedly announced that I will now preach the same gospel that caused my mother to pray for me. And when I have preached my last sermon, I'll sit at Jesus' feet and say, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. And like this elderly woman, who at eight o'clock every night began to pray that her son would turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of the enemy. This mother understood that she needed to enforce and to make effectual prayer for the freedom of her son because that's what Jesus died for, to give freedom for those that were in captivity. You see, unbelievers and even prodigal sons and daughters today can't war for themselves. They can't fight for themselves because if we read our Bibles correctly, there is a God of this age and He is very busy right now. He is incredibly active right now and where we're used to hide in the shadows, He's blatantly, openly operating right now. And if we are ignorant of what the Scriptures say and knowing that there is a God of this age and He's got, He's got access to To us, to our families, to our generation. And He veils and He blinds the minds of those who, they're unsaved. They're not walking with God. This elderly mother knew that she had the authority to pray that the veil would be removed. What turns a son away from syndicate crime? What turns a son away from alcohol addiction and who knows what else? What turns a son into an evangelist is these weapons that God has given to us that are written in the pages of our Bibles that we have to enforce because that's the victory that Jesus has given to you and I. And I encourage you, church. In fact, I urge you, start praying for the prodigal sons and daughters. Pray for them, but don't just pray, beg and hope. Begin to enforce the authority that Jesus has given to you and I. Think about what the blood of Jesus did at the cross. We know that Colossians 2.15, when Jesus went down to, the, down to hell in the grave, He made a public show openly of every principality, power and darkness, dominion and everything else that is right now operating on the earth. And that spirit of the Antichrist is at work in our schools, our colleges, our communities, our neighbourhoods and our families. And you and I are not here just to play Sunday church. We are here to enforce what Jesus has paid for. And I want to impart something to you tonight as we're going to pray right now. We are going to pray for the prodigal sons and daughters. We're gonna pray for your families. Remember what Nehemiah 4 says that we are to fight for our brothers, that we are to fight for our sons, we are to fight for our daughters, we are to fight for our wives, we are to fight for our households. You know, as Byron and I sat at this lunch the other day, we had politicians ask us do you want us to keep fighting? Do you want us to keep fighting? And we said to the politicians, you keep fighting and we'll keep fighting because there's a whole future out there of a generation that are either got to come to Christ or come back to Christ. Do you know what? India is doing it right. Sending that Word out, if you can just bring one soul to Christ this year. In our church alone, our church alone, if one person in our church, one person in our church, or sorry, every person in our church witnessed and prayed and prayed a prodigal back or prayed someone into the Kingdom of God, our church would grow by 3,000 people in the next 12 months. We would be having multiple, 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 multiple services. Our Roberts said, if ever there's a failure... It's a prayer failure. It's a prayer failure. That bothers me. And I want it to bother you too. What are we going to do about this? Close with this thought. Israel has two seas, the Galilean and the Dead Sea. But both of these seas have but one source one source and that source is water flowing from the Jordan the Sea of Galilee receives the water in and it's teeming with life and teeming with fish the Dead Sea receives this water also from the Jordan but it is appropriately named it is dead because it doesn't give out the Galilean Sea gives out the Dead Sea doesn't give out it receives but doesn't go anywhere And I tell you what, the risk and the danger for us as the church is that we would become like a dead sea. We're always open to receive. Give me, give me, give me this, that and everything else. We're open to receive, but if we don't give out, it won't be too long before we become like the dead sea and we have stagnated. But our lives need to be like the Sea of Galilee where we know how to receive and what comes in, we are willing to give out. And if what you can give out right now is prayer that I will start to pray and I will start to say, and I will start to speak and I'll start to tear down the strongholds and the walls and the veil that the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. And if you start to enforce your authority, then you will be like the Sea of Galilee, that you have received that from God. And I can't let it stagnate here. I can't let it stagnate on a Sunday. I can't just be a Sunday believer, I will be one that will receive from God and give it out because there are futures that are relying upon what you say, what you pray, what you do, what you intercede about. Don't be a Dead Sea Christian. Please don't be a Dead Sea Christian. And I know we've all had a lot to deal with the last few years. We've had more than our fair share. And the enemy would love to get into your head and say, just stay put, do nothing. Don't do anything, you've you've done your bit. We haven't even got started. We haven't even begun to scrape the surface on what God wants to do through your life, through our church, through our community. In Jesus' Name, would you stand to your feet, please? Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to get in contact with us or find out more about Highway Church, go to highway.com.au.